Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived on, at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that, your fear, that you fear God, and since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have, have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring, offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Abraham went back to his young men, and they got up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham settled in Beersheba, the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lisa. This fall, we have been studying the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis. Our teaching series has been called Living by Faith, because... That's what Abraham's life is all about. He is a living and breathing and real life answer to the question, what does it really mean? What does it look like to live by faith? This question, what does it look like to live by faith, is, is all important according to the Bible because as Abraham's story has shown us, it is by faith that we're made right with God. It is by faith that we receive the promise of blessing, the promise of God's favor, the restoration of life as he intended and made us and designed us to live. It is by faith we receive the promise, and it is by faith we become a channel of blessing 
to the world. So the Bible says it all hinges on faith, faith. Many other places in Scripture look back on Abraham's story and say, if you want to know what it means to live a life of faith, of trust, and reliance on God, look to Abraham. Romans says, we said this many times, he is the father of all who believe. James says, we just read the beginning of this passage earlier in the service, Abraham is the model of a living and true faith. Hebrews says in the hall of faith, that Abraham gets the longest section of all the heroes of faith. How did Abraham become a person of such great faith? And the answer is through tests. Tests are everybody's favorite part of school. Yes? Anybody have midterms coming up? Yay for midterms, right? They're coming up soon for a lot of you. Don't you love the studying and don't you love the pressure and all that? No, we don't. No one does. But we need tests to show us where we are at and as proof that we are learning what we are supposed to be learning. It's the same for faith. But one of the scariest words that a teacher can say as a test is coming up final, midterm, whatever, is to say, this test is, anybody know, cumulative, right? Which means not going to be in a little section, it's going to be on everything. And so that means you've got to study from beginning all the way to the end. What we have read and heard just now, this text from Genesis chapter 22, this is Abraham's cumulative final exam. And it is a hard one. As we read this, this is an impossible test, a puzzling test, a disturbing test, one in which many interpreters for thousands of years really have puzzled and pondered this for so long, wondering what exactly is happening here. One scholar I read this week said that this story, there's no other story in the Bible that can match the haunting beauty and the theological depth of this story. Martin Luther said of this, I could not have done this and I could not have even have looked. And maybe that's how you feel as you're reading this text. That's how I feel. I I couldn't have been there to watch. Yet at the same time, if if you heard it and we're going to walk through this story, this story is so masterfully told. It's like one of those stories where you Want to look away, but you can't look away. Like, I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch. But you're still watching because you want to know what is happening, how is this going to end. I believe God wants us to be shocked by this story as the grand finale, the climax of the story of Abraham so that not just him, but we, the readers, are 100% clear on what faith is and what it means to live by faith. What does the Bible say about that? So in one sense, this is a final exam for all of us. If you've been here with us through this study, it's it's like a cumulative exam. Do we understand what it means to live by faith? There are three parts to the story. We're just going to walk through one, two, and three. First, the shocking test. Secondly, the shocking response. And thirdly, 
How does it all end? With a shocking result. The shocking test first. And I want to encourage you to have either your Bible or the passage ready. We're going to look at this as we walk through this together. In the first verse of the chapter, look at verse 1. We are told something here, (laughs) and Abraham is not told this. So we, the readers, know what is happening while Abraham doesn't. It says, after all these things, God tested Abraham. I think we're told this to help prepare us for the shock of what the final test will be, what God says to him. It doesn't take all the shock away, but it helps us understand what is about to happen here in this story is a test. Verse 1 says, after all these things. This is a short way of saying, Abraham, he has been through a lot. After all these things. And now he finally has what he's hoped for. A son. His son. His heir. The promise that God had told him about. Isaac, his Isaac, who had taken the place of the firstborn son, Ishmael was sent away. That's another story in a uh, chapter previous. So in Isaac, his only son, his son, are all of Abraham's hopes, really all of Abraham's meaning and future and life. As long as he has Isaac, he has it. And then comes a test the hardest of all tests. God says to him in verse 1, Abraham, in verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And we go, wow, this is the test. What is happening here? How does Abraham respond? Look at verse 2 and verse 3. There's a big gap there. Verse 3 starts the next morning. There's no response from Abraham that, that we're told. God gives him the test. There's no response from Abraham. But what, what was he thinking? What we are thinking is, God, what? This is insane. This is immoral. You are not a God of child sacrifice. Why? Well, to answer this question, we have to take a step back. And as a few times we have in this series, answer the question, why does God test? Why does God test Abraham? Why does God test us? If we could go to the next slide. Like academic tests that we were talking about earlier, They bring out into the open what is true in our mind. Spiritual testing brings out into the open what is true in our heart. Tests reveal. Tests also refine and strengthen what is there. I could tell you right now, friends, I I am a math wizard. Calculus. I just snap my fingers and I just walk through the problems just like that. 
And if you wanted to really know, is that true? <laughs> is that what really is in your mind? Then you would say, do this calculus problem. And then you would know that I'm, in li- I'm lying about that. <laughs> Pick your subject, right? Any subject. I am the king of Spanish. I know all the grammar. Well, take this test, right? Then you'll find out what's really there. The test will tell you in the same way. We don't know spiritually what's in our heart until it's tested. And this passage makes it very, very practical for us. Very, very practical, very street level. How do I know what my faith is really in? This test shows us. Here's how you know. Here's how you know Abraham. Here's how you know us. Find the thing you won't offer up. Find the thing you won't let go of. The thing you say to other people, the thing you say to God, you can't touch this. You can't have this. It's the thing that if somebody gets near it and you feel threatened and you fight and you get angry, it's the thing you trust will give you the future you want. I trust it to give me the future that I want. What is it? That is what your faith is ultimately in. We could come up with many examples or answers to that. It's unique to you, your reputation, your name. That people think you're smart, successful, etc. Your comfort that you've earned, your achievement. It could be a person, a relationship, an education path. This is what it has to be. A career path that has to go like this. How do you know? Well, for Abraham, God asked him to offer it up. Let it go. And here we have something that is so hard to reconcile because it was God who promised Isaac by name to Abraham. He gave him Isaac. Here is the promise and here is the command of God. And maybe this will make sense to you in your experience if you're here and you've been a Christian for a little bit. And this is a heads up. If you're considering Christianity, sometimes it feels like you've got the promise of God and the command of God. Right here, it's like the promise of God and the command of God are at odds. How can it be? I will bless you through Isaac. Offer him up. How does that work? God promises us, and maybe you felt this, blessing in his word, true. Life in his word, true. Strength. Peace. All these things, God promises it. And then a command comes to us from the word of God. And we say, God, this doesn't seem to lead me to blessing and life and grace and strength and peace. And so we have the promise and the command. And to obey his command seems like we're letting go of his promise. This is what was happening with Abraham. How could it be? It seems cruel and barbaric and terrible of God to put Abraham through a test like this, especially as verse 1 says, after all these things, after all he's been through, after all the ways he's already been tested, this is like a why God moment as we read this, if we experience this, the command and the promise, why God? If you could go to the next slide. Consider this. 
Why, God? Why this test? If for Abraham and us, everything depends on what our faith is in. That's what the Bible says. And if what we are really putting our faith in will one day fade, will one day be taken from us, whatever it might be, and can never give us what we are trusting it to give us, only God himself can. If, if, then, there is nothing more loving or good for God to do than whatever it takes to have our faith be in the right thing, which is himself. Now that Abraham has the gift, his final test, his exam, we could put it like this, has the gift of God become his God? Or is God his God? Is he trusting in the gift of God or the God of the gift? That's what makes this hard. This is, this is obviously a good thing. Isaac, the promised one, the given one, the gift of God. And here this test is asking Abraham, has the gift of God become his God? Or is it the God of the gift? And what about us? Is there something, even a good desire, even a good gift, that you are putting your faith in? That we know will one day fade and fail and be taken from us and can never give us what we are trusting it to give us. Will you offer it up? The text is asking us, will you offer it up? Well, before we answer that, let's get to the shocking response. Verses 1 and 2 tell us about the test. Verses 3 through 10, if you look at those, they tell us about Abraham's response. What's more shocking, the test or Abraham's response? Look at verse 3. Abraham got up early in the morning. <clears throat> There's like no delay. He heard it. He got up in the morning. How did he not say, uh, maybe that was like a bad case of whatever I ate last. I got to hear it again, God. I don't know if that was you or not. There's no delay. He makes all the preparations. He gets the donkey. He gets two guys to go on the journey with him and his son. He gets the wood. He sets out to go. Then in verse uh, 5, he says, on the third day, <clears throat> he sees the place in the distance all that way, day one, day two, day three, he sees the place in the distance. And we wonder, how did he not turn back? One whole night of sleeping, two plus days of journey, and he continues forward. How? And then he leaves the two guys behind. Now it's just him and Isaac walking. We're meant to picture this in our minds. In verse 6, Abraham takes the wood. And he lays it on Isaac, his son. And that's the picture in our bulletin, the cover of our bulletin. You see Isaac carrying the wood. He sets out to go up the mountain. It says, in Abraham's hand is the fire, maybe the, the coal, the fire, and the knife. It's like slow motion right now. Usually the Bible moves very fast. You know, you get one verse and then the next verse, it's like 10 years later, 100 years later. This is like each moment slowed down. Isaac, who has been silent, he's not a young child, right? 
He's not like an infant. He's carrying the wood. He finally speaks, and he says, my father. And you think, how did Abraham even hear that and not just fall to the ground? Abraham says, here I am, my son. Isaac says, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? How did not Abraham break down right there and just say, forget it, I can't do this? They walk on together, verse 8 says, and then they arrive in slow motion. Abraham built the altar. Then he arranged the wood. I mean, here we are saying, if we're tracking this story and we're seeing the detail, if you picture it like a film, you're like, what is he going to do? It slowed down. There's suspense. He bound his son Isaac and he placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out and he took the knife. And then verse 11 says, Then the angel of the Lord called out, Abraham, Abraham, do not touch the boy. The shocking response here in this story is that Abraham trusted. Abraham obeyed. How? How? The answer is found in the two things Abraham says in verse 5 and verse 8. We get a glimpse to what was going on in his mind, in his heart. What was the test bringing out of Abraham? What was in his heart? Was it just blind obedience? Blind faith and grit and duty. God says it. That settles it. I'm going to grind it. Verse 5, he told the men who came with him, stay here. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Not I'll come back to you. We will come back to you. We could say maybe he was just hiding from them what he was going to do. I don't think so. I think he's revealing his faith. He didn't have to say anything about that. He said we're coming back. Then in verse 8, in his response to Isaac, Dad, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide. Another way to translate this is God will see or God will see to it. I don't see it, but God will see to it. I can't see how, but God will provide. Hebrews 12 tells us what was going on in Abraham's heart and mind, what the test revealed. If you could go, Jaden, over to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11, actually. Yeah, back. There we go. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promise, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. What was going on in his mind? He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. This is what was going on. Abraham considered. God promised through Isaac the blessing will come. God commanded, offer up Isaac. How? The promise of God seems to contradict the command of God. There's only one way I can make sense of it. Abraham says if he dies, God will raise him up. 
And I want us to see this is not blind faith. Look at Hebrews. It says, Abraham considered. The word there is reason. The word there is where we get the word logic. He took the promise of God. He took the word of God. He took the command of God. He put it together. He said, this is the only way it makes sense. If God is God and all I know of him is true, then I can offer him up. Somehow, some way, God will provide. And this is so important. We get this glimpse into Abraham's heart. How did he do it? When he heard his son's voice, when he gave him the wood, this is getting to the very heart and nature of faith. Did he say, I, I can do this. I can do that. God, God said, I believe it. That settles it. I have to do it. I'm the father of all who will believe. I need to be a model. I need to be a father. It's duty. It's determination. It's willpower. Is that what is in Abraham's heart? No, it's not Abraham. You can do this. Abraham, you can do this. No, it's God himself will provide. It's God will see to it. I don't see how, but I know he will. The book of James looks back on this story as we looked at earlier and says, this shows us Abraham's faith was real and living all the way to the end. James says, faith without works is dead. Yes, Abraham professed faith in chapter 15. James says that. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He says that profession was tested and that profession was proved living and real in chapter 22 because how? We see it practically. What is the thing Abraham could not live without? The thing he would not let go of, the thing he would not offer up? It's God. There was nothing of which he said to God. No, God, not that. No, God, not this. And this is the difference between dead faith and living faith. Empty and dead faith says, I believe I'm a Christian. But it never offers anything up. It never gives up anything. If I can challenge you, my Christian friends, and myself, if you can't think of one thing of which you can say, it was good. It was a good desire that I had. But I offered it up so that my trust would be in God and not it. So that I would obey Him and not it. Can you think of something like that? That's living faith. That's real faith. That's true faith. Now, if you're in a test right now and you're being called maybe to give something up, to let it go, to maybe just open your hands and say, I think this is the way to your promise, Lord, but I don't know what you're doing. Abraham's faith tells us that what needs to be in our heart is this. Not I, if I can do it, how will it happen, what do I need to do? It's this, if it dies... If I let it go and offer it up, God will raise it up as something better. If it dies, if I let it go, if I offer it up, God will raise it up as something better. This is not a promise. Just to be clear, if you offer up God a Civic, he will give you, give you a Porsche. This is not me saying God will, if you offer up one job opportunity, he'll give you a better one. That's not what I'm saying. 
It's not like that. Whatever you offer up to God, God will in his time, he will raise it up. That's what was in Abraham's heart. The shocking test, the shocking response of faith. But there's more. There's the shocking result. Verse 12, right? The angel tells Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't touch him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you've not withheld your only son from me, Abraham looked, and then he saw the ram caught in the thicket, and he took it and offered it up in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. This is the final shock as we're reading and tracing the story. Wait, what? So God never wanted Isaac to be offered up. God wanted to show Abraham and Isaac he will provide the offering. This was the point and the lesson of the test. It's not mainly what God came to know from the test. It's about what Abraham came to know in the deepest part of his soul from the test, which is the Lord will provide. That's what he named the mountain. That's what he named the place. He didn't name the place Abraham's mountain. He didn't name the place Abraham's faith. He named the place the Lord will provide on the mountain. And it says to that, to that day, the day that this was written in red, the name stuck. If you've read this passage or heard it taught maybe before in, in the church, we're tracking with this so far. Often we come to it and say, the main point is this. God is saying, what is your Isaac? And give it up. That's here, but that's not the main point. As we see the result, no, the main point is, will God provide? Will God see to it that his blessing and his promise comes to the one who trusts in him? And we see a principle emerge. That in order for God's blessing and promise to come, his blessing that we might live in his favor and be restored to all of what he intends and made us for, his blessing, in order that blessing can be received and go from us to all nations and all peoples, there has to be an offering to cover sin, to deal with sin and unbelief. All that stands in the way of the blessing coming to us and through us. Here Abraham is told, not you, Abraham, not you, Isaac. I will provide the offering. And then the blessing can be yours. And the blessing can go through you to the world. We know many, many years later that the full meaning of this was made clear when God the Father gave up his Isaac, his one and only son whom he loved, his beloved son, when he was offered up in our place, the one who was called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the son who carried the wood of his own execution and death up the mountain silently, obediently. Why? Because the Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. 
friends, in the deepest part of our souls, we say, if I'm going to obey God, and I can't see how this brings His promise into my life and blessing, if I'm going to give it up, if I'm going to offer it up, how do I know? How do I know that if it dies, God will raise it up as something better? How do I trust? How do I offer Him whatever He commands? Romans 8.32, we have that on a slide, Jaden, if you could move to that one, answers the question for us. Using the language of this story, he who did not even spare his own son, but gave him up, offered him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? If he's done this, if he's done this, if he hasn't spared his only son, do you have any reason not to trust him even when it doesn't make sense? when your faith is tested, when you're in a trial. Because the Lord provided, because he saw to it in Christ, we can live by faith. There's another slide here. I just want to close with this thought. I came across this quote of living by faith as we're thinking about this, the the final exam and all that we've learned from Abraham. This was something that rang true of Abraham's life. And I think how the Bible describes what it means to live by faith. (laughs) It was so challenging, but I think so true. Living by faith. What is it? A complete certainty of God. A complete certainty in God. And complete openness as to the detail. (laughs) How hard is that? The thing that you feel like is testing your faith right now. God, I have complete openness to detail. Where will this path lead? Where will this path lead for my son or daughter? What if I obey you and let go of this? What will happen? Complete openness to detail because of complete certainty of God. Because he has not spared his only son, the son he loves, but offered him up for us all. We can trust he will give us all things needful. Do you have any reason not to believe that if he says to you, offer it up, let it go, open your hands, let it die, that it won't be raised up as something better. The Lord will provide The Lord will see to it. The Father who provided the Lamb as the offering in our place. We can trust Him. Let's pray. Our Father, this this story does shock us. Maybe still just kind of reverberating and bouncing around in our minds. How could this be, this test? And maybe just hitting us in a place where we realize we've got something that we don't want to offer up. We've got something that we can't let go of. We've got something that really is what we are trusting in to give us the future that we want. And I pray that we would be, again, shocked, amazed, that this is the kind of God you are, the God who will provide. You are the God who will see to it. 
and that you would help our hearts rest again on the basis for that kind of faith in you. All that you have done for us in your son, Jesus. We pray that as we come to the table, that our hearts might be able to offer up and let go and receive again the assurance of your promise that you are a God who will always provide. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.